this is um, episode 39. This is a Jane Reed from the True Crime Nightmare podcast. Hello, it has been a while since my last episode. I hope everyone is well. It has been a nice summer break for me. This new episode looks at the case from New Zealand of a young girl called Kirsty Bentley. Kirsty was only 15 years old when she was brutally murdered on New Year's Eve of 1998. Sadly, the case is unsolved still, but hopefully it will get solved with so many developments that are now available at the police's and the forensic experts' disposal. It is never too late for a case to be solved, and in recent years, many cases have been solved that had been cold cases going back decades, so there is always hope. Kirsty Bentley was born on the 18th of January of 1983 in Christchurch, New Zealand. She lived with her parents, Sydney Bentley, who was her father, and Jill Bentley, her mother, as well as her older brother, John. John Bentley was about 19 years old at the time of Kirsty's murder. Kirsty attended her local college in Ashburton, where the family had lived for many years. Ashburton College is a state secondary school. She was known to have had a close-knit circle of friends and was liked by many of her peers. Kirsty Bentley was considered by those that knew her to have been a normal teenage girl. Her mother would later go on to describe Kirsty as having been a vibrant and honest young girl. Kirsty was considered to have been a fairly confident teenager. It was said that she could, at times, be quite direct with people, but usually only people that she knew fairly well. She appeared different with strangers and would often apparently seem quite shy and often reserved with people that she had only just met or did not know that well. It has been said that she was known to have had a creative flair which she would sometimes express through the medium of drama. She attended drama classes as well as poetry class. Who knows just how far in life she could have gone in either of those creative areas had she been given the chance. Kirsty Bentley was only a few weeks off from turning 16 when she died and she had recently began dating a local boy called Graham who was also a pupil at Ashburton College in Ashburton. They attended at least one class together and would also spend time together outside of school. The Bentley family had just celebrated Christmas together and were looking forward to also seeing in the new year, but unfortunately on New Year's Eve, Kirsty was murdered. Kirsty took the family dog, Abby, out for a walk and she was brutally murdered by, so far, somebody unknown. Witnesses would later come forward to say that they saw Kirsty that afternoon with her black lab, Abby. Kirsty's mother had seen Kirsty earlier that day, and then she had gone off to work. The same was said of her father, although his whereabouts was a little bit hazy. Her brother was at home on and off and Kirsty had plans for that day and also the um, evening. She was going to see in the New Year's Eve with her family and also with her boyfriend. 
No doubt she was looking forward to celebrating, seeing in the new year, just like most people. Kirsty was known to have been wearing a black tank top, a blue and white sarong and a pair of shoes with butterflies on them. The shoes had white soles when she disappeared. Kirsty was also wearing underwear which included new items that she had just got for Christmas from her mother. She typically would put her shoulder length hair up into a ponytail and would often use a scrunchie to keep the ponytail in place. New Year's Eve 1998 was a hot day and many people were out and about during the afternoon. Some were walking their dogs near the local river, presumably so the dogs could jump in the water to cool off. The route that Kirsty is known to take was her typical route. She would often walk the family dog by, by all accounts, so this was not anything unusual. So she was just doing what she had done on many previous occasions, it would seem. Apparently, Kirsty had loved animals and was very happy when the family got the Black Labrador. Kirsty had plans in place for the rest of the day, which included meeting up with her boyfriend. Apparently, he was due to meet her at the house and he had planned to cook her a meal. And according to reports, he was then going to stay the night over at the Bentley family home afterwards. Kirsty is known to have left the family home at about three o'clock in the afternoon of New Year's Eve in 1998 and she had the family dog Abby with her because she had decided to take her out for a walk on that sunny afternoon. The first signs that something was not right came later that afternoon when Kirsty and the dog had not returned home. Jill Bentley, Kirsty's mother, returned home from work at about quarter past five John, Kirsty's brother, had told his mother that Kirsty had taken the dog out for a walk some time ago, but for some reason they had not returned home yet. Her mother was obviously concerned, even though it had only been a few hours and it was broad daylight, but sometimes we just know that something seems different. Jill Bentley began phoning around to see if anyone had seen her daughter. She called Kirsty's boyfriend, Graham, who who told her that he did not know where she was and had not seen her that day. Jill Bentley knew the route that her daughter would often take when walking Abby, so she decided to go and take a look to see if she could find them. However, she could not find them and was by now becoming very worried. She decided to go back home, hoping that they had turned up and that she had just missed them somehow, or that she had taken Abby on a different route other than the usual one that she normally would normally take. Anything was possible at this stage, with it only being a few hours since there had been any sign of Kirsty or the dog. Once she'd returned to the family home, she spoke to her son John and they agreed to leave it until six o'clock before going out to look for Kirsty again. The idea was presumably that she could arrive back home in the meantime, but unfortunately Kirsty did not return back to the family home. At six o'clock, John went out to have a look for his sister. At about the same time, Kirsty's father, Sid, returned home. He was told that Kirsty had not returned from her walk and he phoned the police to report her missing. The police obviously took notice straight away because they quickly organised a search for 15-year-old Kirsty Bentley immediately. The first search took place that evening. The initial search party included police officers, family members of Kirsty's, as well as some of Kirsty's friends. They all searched 
throughout the night, but there was no sign of Kirsty or the family dog. The day after, which was New Year's Day 1999, another search was carried out in the local area and also the wider area. Abby, the family dog, was found alive tied to a tree in some dense shrub close to the river in Ashburton, so not far from home at all. However, sadly, there was no sign of missing teenager Kirsty Bentley. The dog had been found at about 10 o'clock in the morning of New Year's Day. Searches had searched this area before by the river, but for whatever reason, they had not been able to locate the dog. It is thought that due to the density of the shrub, it was possible that they just had not seen Abby, who was a black dog. Also, the light would have been failing due to it being the evening when they first started their initial search of the area the evening before. Maybe the dog was too traumatised as well to bark or make a lot of noise. Fairly close to where Abby was found were discovered some items of clothing that could have potentially been linked to the missing girl. The clothing consisted of underwear which was in fact later confirmed that had belonged to Kirsty. She had received the underwear um, for Christmas just a week or so before from her mother. Over the next couple of weeks the search for Kirsty Bentley continued. Although the search had originally started in Ashburton itself, it did span out to a wider area over time, as is often the case. The New Zealand Army also became involved in the search. The troops involved were sent from the local military camp. Unfortunately, at this point, no sign of Kirsty was discovered. On the 17th of January of 1999, so just after two weeks since she went missing, Kirsty's body was found. Her remains were found by two men out walking when they came across her body. This was in the town of Rakai, which is about 40 kilometres from Ashburton, where Kirsty had lived and disappeared from. Her body was badly decomposed. It was lying in a patch of overgrown shrub. It was located at the bottom of a steep embankment and she had been covered with a few leaves and some small branches. Kirsty had been found fully clothed apart from her underwear, which had already already been discovered. The location of Kirsty's body was close to the State Highway of 72. Obviously, this is not what everyone who knew her wanted, but arrangements would soon have to be made for her funeral. The area where Kirsty's remains were found were known by the locals to be a place where people would grow illegal cannabis plants. It transpired that the two men who found Kirsty's body were actually out looking for cannabis at the time. It was reported that at first the men did not want to contact the police due to the fact that what they were doing was illegal and would likely cause too many problems for themselves. But luckily they soon realised it was too important to not report to the authorities. I hope that they also felt a moral obligation as well to report a, you know, a deceased person. As soon as the police were contacted, the investigation into what had happened to Kirsty Bentley began. Initially, they did not know for sure 
who the remains belonged to, but they were able to later confirm that they belonged to the missing girl. The investigators conducted an extensive search of the area where the body was found. This took a couple of days to complete. They discovered some tyre tracks close by and they made a plaster cast of them for any future leads. It was the height of summer in New Zealand at the time, so the body of Kirsty Bentley was in a very advanced state of decomposition, as you can imagine. The remains were removed from the scene and taken to Christchurch Hospital in New Zealand, where a post-mortem was soon carried out. The pathologist discovered that Kirsty had been killed by blunt force trauma to the back of her head. The injury had caused her skull to fracture. It was determined by the pathologist that Kirsty would have died shortly after the wound had been inflicted, which of course is a small mercy. It was also determined during the post-mortem that Kirsty had been killed shortly after she had gone missing and that her body had been placed in the spot where she was found shortly after her death. The pathologist came to these conclusions due to Kirsty's stomach contents and the decomposition that had occurred to her body. As is normal in any murder case, the police made an appeal to the general public for any possible information to help try and find the person or persons responsible for Kirsty Bentley's murder. The police wanted to know about any strange events or about anyone acting strangely. They also wanted any possible information on any unknown vehicles that might have been seen in the area where Kirsty had taken the dog that day for a walk. The police also appealed to the cannabis growers, urging them to come forward with any information that they might have. Kirsty's funeral was held on the 25th of January 1999, so only a few days after her body had been found. Between 700 and 900 people turned out to say goodbye to the young girl. Her body was cremated and her ashes were placed into a steel urn, which was then buried in a specially planted memorial garden located at the Bentley family home. Over the years, the police investigating Kirsty's death have identified plenty of potential suspects. Many people have been questioned over the years since 1998. Many, as a result, have been cleared of having any involvement in the murder as a result. Early on in the police investigation, both Kirsty's father, Sid, and her brother John were said to have been considered potential suspects. John went on record as saying that although he had nothing to do with his sister's death, he could understand why he was looked into. As most of us know, it is often the case that someone close to the victim is actually the perpetrator. The Bentley family home was also tested for any signs of blood or any other incriminating evidence, but nothing was found. Kirsty Bentley's mother has spoken to reporters over the years regarding her daughter's murder. She told them about the last time that she saw her daughter alive. This was on the day of Kirsty's disappearance at the end of 1998. Jill Bentley fondly recalls helping her teenage daughter with her sarong that she was wearing that day. Jill recalled that Kirsty had had some sort of difficulty in tying the sarong together with the pin which would try and hold the sarong in place and Kirsty had felt that she was showing too much leg and that they had laughed about it and that eventually Jill secured the sarong in place and um, Kirsty was happy to wear it. 
and Jill at the time was actually getting ready to go to work in the morning and she said that she remembers Kirsty waving to her when she left the house to go to meet her friends she was going to meet her friends they were going to the library and then they were going shopping and and out for lunch so Kirsty had a very busy day ahead of her and her mother Jill was going off to work and uh, she remembers seeing her walk past the windows of the family home and they both waved to each other and Kirsty shouted out bye to her mother it is also it's sad that this would turn out to be the last time that she would see her 15-year-old daughter alive. Kirsty would have time would have turned 16 shortly after her body had been found and she had the rest of her life ahead of her, but sadly she never had the chance to live it. The police put up a reward which stands at 50,000 Australian dollars or New Zealand dollars, I'm not quite sure what the currency is for New Zealand. For any information that leads to Kirsty's killer, so so far no one has been charged in connection with her murder. Kirsty's family have suffered greatly over the years since her murder, as you can imagine. Her mother described it as a light being switched off as soon as she found her out that her daughter was missing, let alone before the body was found. She also has said that for some. For her own peace of mind, she has to try and store her thoughts away, although she said, obviously, it does not stop her from thinking about what happened, but that it does help if she can put them, her thoughts in little compartments. Kirsty's mother and father would end up getting divorced. Jill Bentley has since remarried. Jill Bentley also said that she tried to think not so much about her daughter's murder, but about her life which is understandable. What is known about the events of the day that Kirsty was murdered are that it was a lovely, sunny, hot day. The temperature was 30 degrees Celsius. It was a Thursday and it was also New Year's Eve. A young girl who was 11 years old at the time of Kirsty's murder remembers seeing Kirsty with the family dog at about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. She said that she saw Kirsty just a short distance from the Bentley home and that she thought that Kirsty was just going out to walk the dog. No other positive sightings have come to light. The pathologist was unable to determine if Kirsty had been sexually assaulted due to the advanced state of decomposition. She had been found with her clothes on, but minus the underwear that had been found close to where the dog had been found. It would seem, reading various accounts of the case, that the detectives working on Kirsty's case were suspicious of Kirsty's father and also her brother for some reason. It has been reported that the detectives who broke the news to the family that a body had been found and that they suspected it was Kirsty and had in fact just been positively identified as belonging to Kirsty. They were closely watching how the family reacted to the news. This is what was reported anyway, so that may or may not be true. You know what the media's like, it's putting false reports into papers just to stir up a little bit of interest. The police had wanted to see if there was any signs of un- any unusual behaviour to the news that they were delivering. Although, you know, obviously, the people do react differently to to upsetting news like that anyway. The police also had a few issues with Sid Bentley's initial alibi apparently not all of the information added up and 
his whereabouts could not be verified for the whole time. However, no evidence was ever discovered that linked either Sid Bentley or his son John to Kirsty's murder. A few notable suspects in Kirsty's case have come to light, including a local farm worker called Barry, who at the time of the murder would have been 52 years old. He has since died, but it is known that he would often walk his dog along the same route that Kirsty liked to walk. He had apparently been seen on the day of the disappearance in the same area as her. Although he was at the time a powerfully built man, he apparently had the mental age of a young teenager. It was also discovered, once the police became aware of him and looked into his whereabouts a little bit more, he had missed work the day after Kirsty's disappearance. However, no charges were ever made against him. Another man who the police looked into was a local man called Charlie. He had apparently repainted his vehicle shortly after Kirsty's disappearance. He had supposedly also boasted to some of his friends that he had had something to do with Kirsty's murder. Once again, however, no charges were able to be made due to lack of actual evidence against Charlie. A vehicle that the police had become interested in finding was a green van that had been seen in the area where Kirsty had disappeared from. But despite the police spending a lot of valuable time and effort looking into finding the van, it has never been identified. As previously stated, Kirsty's father and her brother, for whatever reasons, were looked at, but no evidence supported their suspicions. Some local people have since said that they had felt that both men had been treated unfairly by the police. Sid and Jill Bentley had divorced in 2000. Sid Bentley died in 2015 from cancer. Jill had remarried after meeting a man called Noel in 2001. Despite never knowing Kirsty, Noel feels very protective about her memory, according to Jill. The couple moved hundreds of miles away from Ashburton and live a fairly reclusive life. They have a large photo of Kirsty in their lounge and Jill f- freely admits that she talks to it every day. Kirsty's ashes have been kept in a silver urn and had been buried in the family garden shortly after the funeral. The ashes remained there until Sid's death in 2015. Jill now has the ashes still in the same urn. She keeps it on top of her mantelpiece. Jill has since retired and her and Noel live with their rescue black cat called Tara. Despite uncomfortable suspicions that have been raised at the time of Kirsty's murder and no evidence whatsoever that Jill's son John had had anything at all to do with Kirsty's murder. Jill remains close to her son. She has maintained a good relationship with him. John at the time of most reports was reported to be studying in Australia. On the morning that Kirsty went missing she had met up with a friend and they had gone to the library and then they had gone shopping together and they had also stopped at their local McDonald's for lunch. Kirsty was picked up on the CCTV cameras in the town at 11.07. Kirsty had bought some soft cuddly toys and had taken them home with her. She had lined them up on her bed when she got home. Her brother was at home at this point and he had informed his sister that her boyfriend had phoned earlier that day to speak to her. 
Kirsty had tried to phone him back just prior to deciding to go for a walk with her, the dog. Graham was out at the time. When we all had to mostly rely on the house landline to make contact, it was not unusual for people to keep missing each other. I'm sure that Graham was looked at in connection with Kirsty's murder, but I could not find any information about what line they took with him, but obviously nothing of any significance came to light in that respect. In one of the very few interviews that Kirsty's mother has given over the years, she said that her daughter had had a great thirst for life and that Kirsty had only, ha- only had two speeds, which were top speed, or top gear, and stop. She also spoke about the media circus, as she called it, which descended on the family home after her daughter was brutally murdered and how upsetting it was and how reporters would regularly phone the family home. And you can imagine that because I think we all know what the media are capable of. Jill also said that she has kept the soft cuddly toys that Kirsty had bought on the day that she was murdered. She went on to say that her and her husband, Noel, have them all lined up at home and they refer to them as, quote, the boys, unquote. That to me is so lovely, but also very sad. I really hope that whoever is responsible for what happened to Kirsty Bentley back in 1998 will eventually be identified and, if still alive, convicted and put away. The person should not only pay for what happened to Kirsty, but there is a good chance, in my opinion, he has carried out other crimes and could still be young and or fit enough to carry out another murder at any time if he hasn't already. Who knows what drove the person to attack a young teenage girl in the middle of a sunny afternoon, but whatever prompted it, it could happen again at any time. No one is safe from a person like this. Luckily, many advances are continually being made when it comes to forensic science and new techniques are used all of the time. There is always a chance that someone other than the person responsible knows or suspects something and will eventually come forward with some incriminating evidence or information that will eventually lead to Kirsty's killer. Hopefully the family and friends of Kirsty Bentley will eventually get some answers in time and the clo- this, this cold case will be solved with any luck. Thanks for listening and the credits for this episode go to interactivestuff.com .co.nz www.nowtolove.co.nz and Wikipedia and Google. Thank you very much for listening. Bye.